0: This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive.
1: You're going to love this. Just love it. That's why I came here tonight.
2: I'm in I fall my chair. No, not and scared. I'm get down the
1: Boy, you can say that again. Stuck in, stuck in the middle with you. Stuck straight in the middle. Right in the middle. Right down The center, while the rest of the world goes crazy, you've got me, and this is your Bradcast, live on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. I am Brad Friedman. Your friendly citizen blogger, investigative journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. <laughs> uh, maybe you don't, but says me. Uh, we got a big show for you. We got uh, some breaking news here. A bunch of guests lined up. I'm going to be joined shortly by uh, Dr. Daniel A. Smith, P- political science professor down uh from the University of Florida, as well as Ernest A. Canning, our senior legal advisor at bradblog.com. Uh, Jason Leap, well, I'll tell you about Jason in a second. He's going to join me. Also, Desi Doyne will join us with some green news. Let me do some breaking news and then I'll get you into our guests and wherever the hell we're going today. Yeah, it's a big show and, um well, we're just hectic. So, Take it as it comes. Uh, a judge. Uh, some of the breaking news just now. A judge has allowed a an extension in the Mississippi case, where the <laughs> where the where the small government conservatives down there are attempting to close down the only abortion clinic in the state. They're using a, a deceptive uh, trap law in order to uh, uh, put these restrictions on the doctors at this abortion clinic. It will be the first state to shut down abortions across the uh, out of the entire country since Roe v. Wade. Uh, if they are successful in uh, in doing this legislatively, it's being challenged in the court. And the judge in that case, who had put a temporary extension uh, on the law to keep the law from going into effect, um, has now extended that once again down in Mississippi. So. That's good news for people who care about, you know, rights and freedoms and uh hate big government tyranny. Oh, wait a minute. It's the people who claim they hate big government tyranny who seem to be running the state of Mississippi. Oh, the tangled web they weave. Uh, also today, uh, Romney was booed. I don't know if we have this uh audio. You, uh, you guys let me know in the control room. Uh, Romney was booed twice today at the NAACP conference where he was speaking down in Texas. Once when he promised to kill the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. And once when he said that he was the guy who could best improve the lives of African-Americans. They booed him and they laughed at him. Do we have that clip there? If we don't, that's okay. Yeah, play one, play one of those uh, booing clips there real quickly. And so, And so to do that, I'm going to eliminate every non-essential, expensive program I can find. That includes Obamacare, and I'm going to work to reform and save. Yes, uh, the booing went on for quite a while. And play the second clip. We we could play the second clip. He was booed again. I mean, that was a long boo at the NAACP. You got the second clip there, G?
3: My policy will be, number one, create jobs for the American people. I do not have a hidden agenda.
1: Well, that's good. No hidden agenda.
4: And
3: I submit to you this. If you want a president who will make things better in the African-American
1: community, you are looking at him.
4: You take a look.
1: Oh, yeah. That's right. That's your guy. Uh, If you're an African-American voter out there, Mitt Romney. Uh, is your guy, says him. Uh, the laughter in the room uh, may say otherwise, however. Uh, okay, so that's what happened today. Also, uh Van Wangard. we've talked about him and uh, the contest that he was in against John Lehman. The Democratic candidate John Lehman up there in the Wisconsin recalls in the state Senate recall in District 21, uh, Van Wangard, the incumbent Republican, had been challenging the race against John Lehman, which we encouraged him to do because, uh, the computers had reported he had lost by just under 800 votes. And indeed, uh, that would change the control of the Senate if the Democrat was to, uh, take over in that race. Uh, so, uh, Van Wangard did end up asking for a, they call it a recount. I call it a count. Um, it's not even a count because they take the optical scan paper ballots and they run them through the same machines that may or may not have counted them accurately in the first place. Who knows if they counted them accurately again because instead of going to court to ask for a hand count of the paper ballots, Van Wangard was uh, happy just running them through the machine again and uh, the totals were, uh, I think he gained about 20 votes on John Lehman. The question, however, was was Vanguard going to challenge that uh that recount in court. Why would he want to do that? Well, because the Republican Party was very concerned. During the recount, they found a number of ballot bags that had been opened in uh in the city of Racine uh, or that they claim had been opened, uh which they thought was just outrageous. I'm not sure how many ballot bags there were but it raises the question for those of you who have listened to the broadcast over the over the years here on KPFK and who uh, read bradblog.com where the hell were those people last year during the US supreme uh, not the US the state supreme uh, court race the state supreme court recount up in Wisconsin where Thousands and thousands of ballots showed up in uh, broken bags, torn bags, ballot bags, missing seals, uh h- having security numbers changed. At that point, the Republicans didn't seem to give a damn about uh, the outrageous uh, way that those ballots showed up in that count, because in that case, their guy was winning uh for the Supreme Court after notorious Waukesha County election clerk, Kathy Nicholas had discovered 14,000 previously unreported ballots in the days after the election where the non-Republican, the Independent, uh, was said to have been the winner. So uh, I'm glad that they suddenly care about the chain of custody when it comes to elections. Uh, I wouldn't have minded, frankly, had Wangard, uh, the Republican in the state Senate race, challenged Layman in a court of law. And we could have uh, probably pushed them to uh, better increase their security on those ballots. But he chose not to. Uh, And so the Democrats will now take, following uh, two different uh, rounds of recalls, the Democrats will now retake control of the state Senate up in Wisconsin. There you go. Well done. Um, Okay, we've got a report from Truthout today. Detainees in custody of the U.S. military were interrogated while drugged with powerful antipsychotic and other medications that could, quote, impair an individual's ability to provide accurate information, according to a newly declassified Department of Defense Inspector General's report that probed the alleged use of mind altering drugs during interrogations. Uh, we are going to be talking about that report in a little bit. With the author of the article at uh, the co-author of the article at Truthout, Jason Leopold, he will be joining us to discuss that. And uh, what other breaking news do I have before we can get on to our guest? Oh, here's some breaking news. Uh, This Friday, I will be um, a guest hosting once again the Mike Malloy Show, and since it happens to be Friday the 13th, it will be another Friday the 13th. A Nightmare on Malloy Street. I hope you'll be able to join me for that this Friday night on Fine Progressive Radio stations and Sirius XM around the country. 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, And finally, next, we'll ask Des when she comes back. uh, We were trying to get uh, Jack Abramoff. Remember him? Uh, uber Republican lobbyist, uh, disgraced Uber Republican lobbyist. We were trying to get him, hope to have him this Friday night, but as it turns out, he's an Orthodox Jew, so he can't join our Friday nightmare. However, he may be with us right here on the KPFK broadcast live next Wednesday. So you'll not want to miss that. Okay. Moving on now. Let's, uh, let's, okay, great. Let's get to our guests. Uh, this is, uh, An amazing story. We have been covering this at Bradblog.com. The the mendacity of the governor of the state of Florida and his uh, hand-picked secretary of state, Ken Detzner, and this so-called non-citizens voter purge that they have been carrying off down there, uh, attempting to carrying off, frankly, lying about. We have been exposing some of those lies at bradblog.com. Uh, we spoke a little bit about some of them uh, two weeks ago with Congressman Ted Deutsch from Florida right here on the Bradcast um, but the, the lying continues and, uh, they are now being enabled, I, I hate to say, by the mainstream corporate media down there who seems to be getting it all wrong. Uh, Governor Rick Scott has been, uh, dishonest as far as I can tell about the number of people who have been purged in this supposed non-citizen voter purge. He's claiming 107. Uh, he's been dishonest about the federal immigration database. They claim they're trying to get from the uh, Department of Homeland Security. They're claiming DHS is blocking their access to this database on behalf of Barack Obama, uh, purportedly, I guess, to steal the election this November through uh, non-citizen voters. Uh, and, of course, we showed that email from the state of Florida, from their own Department of State, their own assistant general counsel showed that uh, almost a year ago, or at least October of 2011, the state of Florida admitted they didn't have... The, uh, the material, the identifiers, the unique numeric identifiers that were needed to access this federal database. And yet, Rick Scott has been going out on CNN, on NPR, everywhere else, absolutely lying about this, suggesting that Eric Holder at the DOJ is trying to, uh, block Florida's access, keep them from removing citizen, non-citizen voters from the rolls. Of course, that's all hooey as well. And of course, uh, most recently um we 've discovered that uh, they have also the state of Florida has also been dishonest about a federal court ruling last week that was reported to have been in their favor in the state of florida 's favor uh, against the uh, uh department of homeland i 'm sorry against the Department of justice but really it wasn 't. And of course, uh, all of the reporters down there seem to have gotten it wrong. Reporters across the country seem to have gotten it wrong. But of course, at bradblog.com, we'd like to think we got it right. We straightened it out. And we will now straighten it out for you this hour uh, with my two guests. Joining me uh, first, Dr. Daniel A. Smith, professor of political science and president of Election Smith, the University of Florida Research Foundation. He served as director of the political campaigning program at the University of Florida. From 2007 to 2011, he's published more than 40 scholarly articles on the politics and process of direct democracy in the American states, as well as a number of books on the, on the same topic. He's also, by the way, provided testimony to Congress, state legislatures of Colorado and Florida, the British House of Lords, and has advised numerous groups, including, get ready, dum-dum-dum, the Chamber of Commerce and delegations in several American embassies in Africa on voting and electoral practices in the American states. Uh, Professor Smith, welcome, sir, to KPFK's broadcast.
5: It's great to be with you, Brad.
1: Great to have you here. And let me uh, also bring in my uh, second guest, uh, Ernest A. Canning, an active member of the California State Bar since 1977. Ernie has received both undergraduate and graduate degrees in political science, as well as a Juris Doctor. He is also, most proudly, no doubt, our own Senior Legal Analyst at Bradblog.com. Ernie Canning, welcome back, sir, to the Bradcast.
5: Hi, Brad. Hi, Dan.
1: All right. Great to have you guys here. Dan, let me start with you. Uh, And and we're going to spread out not just Florida, but through states uh, around the country where uh, the similar gaming of our electoral system is happening. And folks who listen to this show, readbradblog.com, know that I'm not so interested in the horse race as I am the track conditions. And that seems to be what is being gamed now around the country. So in Florida... Um, uh, uh, Daniel, you did a, a piece, a number of pieces recently, looking into the uh, the numbers that the Secretary of State and the Governor are now claiming that they have found via this attempted purge. What have you found out of the 182,000 potential non-citizens they claimed were on the uh, voting rolls? They believed were on the voting rolls. Uh, what are the numbers more uh, likely looking at, like at this hour?
3: Well, Brad, uh, you and and Ernie and the Brad blog are doing a great job uh, covering this issue down in Florida. It's a mess. Uh, We have a governor who is hell-bent on cleaning out the voter rolls of any potential uh, votes against him or against uh, the Republican nominee, Mitt Romney, come 2012. Certainly don't want a repeat of 2008, uh, which uh, tipped the scales towards Barack Obama. And so... Uh, The Secretary of State, who was handpicked by the governor and replaced another Republican uh, appointee who had questions about how far the Scott administration would go, uh, decided to do a systematic purge of the voter rolls. Um, Back in early May, they identified uh, some 182,000 names of suspected, quote-unquote, potential non-citizens On the voter rolls, we've got about 11.2 million people on the rolls right now, and they came up with this number. It got all kinds of press. Uh, Governor Scott was on Fox News and other outlets touting, you know, how much of a problem this was, all these illegals on the rolls, going to be casting ballots, and got to clean it up uh, before election time. Well, you know, it turns out they finally, after pushing, after public records requests, after prodding by some of the media and and others, um, finally released. Uh, the list of 2,625 names out of that 182,000.
1: And those were supposed to be the best, by the way, right? Those 2,000, the these best. are the, the best. That's the best. Right.
3: Fred, the the most the rel-
1: reliably non-citizens.
3: These are. These were the ones right. who, they were confident. They had gone through the process. They verified. They crossed every T, dotted every I right. to make sure they sent it to the supervisors of elections. We have 67 of them, each in the counties. And it was their job, then, to go through, contact these potential non-citizens and strike them from the rolls when they you know, verify that they were non-citizens. Well, mm-hmm. lo and behold, the supervisors started to do their due diligence and found out that most of these people, in fact, nearly all, were citizens. <laughs> um, and many of them just halted the process immediately, said this list is bogus, it's junk. Uh, and that's when the whole mendacity of the governor and the secretary of state uh, started to really go into high gear um, about how, well, of course we couldn't have a perfect list because the federal government... This great boogeyman and, uh, uh, attorney general holder are holding up our process of trying to verify these names
1: and and nonetheless they did they did claim and the media and and i i think we may be able to identify the 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 real uh uh villain here frankly is is some of these folks in the media they are claiming they're passing on sort of uncritically this number this 100 and 107 non-citizens that they have discovered via this uh this purge and that that's why they need to keep going because there's all of these non-citizen voters uh Rick Scott, Governor Rick Scott, called it an alarming number. Many of them have voted. So, uh, Daniel, of the 107 non-citizens they've so far publicly identified, how many of those were you actually able to verify as really non-citizens uh, and and really folks who voted? Um,
3: we have been able to identify less than 10 who have self-claimed that they were on the rolls, they didn't know why, they should be taken off. Um, Of those 107, it should be noted, only 41 were on that list of 2,625 out of the 182,000 potential non-citizens.
1: Only 41. Uh, So
3: the supervisors themselves, in going through routine checks, identified others, which the Secretary of State's office then claimed as their own and claimed that were part of the list. and vindication of, of the non-citizens. So, you know, look, when you're dealing with 11.2 million people, and well more than that in previous years, uh, who have been registered to vote for decades in some cases, um, being on there uh, may have renounced their citizenship, may never have been a citizen, um, never voted. Um, you know, I, I talked to a supervisor of election recently who said, yeah, we identified one, uh, non-citizen. He, had, he was a victim of identity theft back in 1999, <laughs> you know. And so his name was uh, used to register someone to vote. Uh, that person never voted, um, but he was on the list and being held up as this huge problem, which in fact is a manufactured problem. It's a, it's a solution, uh, a very unconstitutional one, depriving people of their, their rights to vote, um, looking for uh, a, a problem. And, because
1: we're talking uh, about, uh, Daniel, we're talking about uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of legal voters who may get caught in this trap and may show up in November and find out they have been removed from the rolls vis-a-vis this purge in some fashion or another, and they're perfectly legal voters. Uh,
3: Yeah, but, Brad, you're forgetting, of course, that if these people are purged, they do get to go to the polls and cast a ballot. Of course, it's not going to be a regular ballot. It's going to be a provisional ballot. And the analysis I did in the 2008 general election was that over half of all provisional ballots that were cast went uncounted. So, you know, (laughs) look, you've got to look at it with a glass hat.
1: And that is that the officials that we have been talking to all take pains to point that out. Even if they're removed from the rolls, uh, they will be able to vote anyway via a a provisional ballot. Uh, The question is, will those provisional ballots actually be counted? And, uh, as we, as history has shown us, no, often, quite often, uh, unfortunately, they are not. Ernie, uh, Ernie Canning, let me ask you, uh, you wrote at Bradblog.com this week. Uh, about the media misreporting uh, on this entire affair, but m- most notably uh, on this court ruling last week. It was uh, the the, uh, the DOJ, actually we had two different lawsuits. Uh, the DOJ uh, tried to get a temporary restraining order to stop Florida from doing this purge because it was in violation of the National Voting Rights Act, they argued. And on the same day, the state of Florida sued the federal government, sued uh, DHS to get at that immigration database, they say they need that will give them the uh, the accurate information on who is uh, a citizen and who isn't. That It, it won't. We'll, we've talked about that before. Maybe we'll get to that a bit later. But I want to focus in on this suit that I read all over the place. Um, that, in fact, I think it was last Wednesday as we were uh, going to air here, that the DOJ lost, that the state of Florida won that case, that they were allowed to continue their purge, uh, according to the federal judge in that case. Saw it all over the news. Uh, was that an accurate uh, portrayal of that story, Ernie Canning?
5: The reporting was so bad it's actually comical. Um, the, the problem is that you had somebody out there in, starting with it which, who, who had no background in law and doesn't know, understand when a judge is announcing a decision, what is he saying? And they, they said, well, you know, uh, the Justice Department uh, uh, tried to get a, a temporary restraining order. The judge denied the stra- uh, temporary restraining order. Therefore, they lost. And that's not what happened at all. What happened was uh, uh, Secretary Scott, had been refusing to stop this purge that was the reason for the lawsuit the reason for the temporary restraining order well they got into court and its attorneys marched in threw up their hands and surrendered and said hey we're not going to carry out the purge we've suspended it and so the judge denied the motion for the temporary restraining order cuz there was no need for it but what he went on to say was that if if in fact uh uh, uh the, any of the county uh, supervisor of election or uh, uh, or Detzner started carrying it out, DOJ can come back in and get their TRO. And that's what he essentially ruled. And every one of these, uh, we're talking CBS, Fox News, ABC, Huffington Post, uh, Bloomberg, they all, Chicago Tribune, they all got it wrong. They all reported that the judge had ruled that the purge could go forward, which is not what he did at all.
1: And that is actually what they said in their head. Federal judge rejects U.S. bid to block voter roll purge. Judge refuses to block Florida voter purge. Uh, it's one after another. Judge refuses to block. Judge, uh, what was this, uh, this, my favorite here was from, was it the Orlando Weekly? Uh, yes, the or- Orlando Weekly said, federal judge okays Florida voter purge. Brad,
3: you know, the New York Times, Ernie did a great job of documenting it. The New York Times, uh, Lizette Alvarez said... In her headline, Judge Sides with Florida on Purging Voter rolls. And it said, a, 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 the first line, a federal judge on Wednesday rebuffed the Department of Justice's emergency request to stop Florida's attempt to remove people who are not American citizens from its voter registration rolls.
1: Not, I mean, not, uh, no. 180
3: degrees Daniel, what
1: the ruling was. Dan Smith, you must be reading that incorrectly. Are you saying that the New York Times reported the exact opposite of the truth, the paper of record? It is the
3: paper of record, and it just shows you how, look, part of the problem is we've got so many lawsuits flying back and forth, um, you know, but you would think in light of the misreporting by CNN and Fox with Scotus's ruling on Obamacare that uh, they would be a little more careful with their reporting. But, you know, it, it's really appalling because what it does is it kind of falls right back into the Scott administration's ability to uh, spin this as stopping the fraud that's going on, that's rampant. And look, even these federal judges are rebuffing that evil uh, attorney general Holder. Uh, and his, and his, uh, henchmen.
1: Well, that's right. And this is one of the reasons why, I, you know, I cover this at Brad Blog, why I cover it here on KPFK, where obviously we're in Los Angeles. Most of our listeners are out here in California. But the fact of the matter is, other than how Florida, obviously, how they vote, uh, clearly affects the rest of the nation on presidential races, but the ability for these top state officials to come out and blatantly lie, to have this material, uh, to have these lies essentially parroted by, uh, You know, the New York Times, CBS, uh, the the top mainstream outlets, uh, and do, as you say, uh, uh, Daniel Smith, uh, you know, give the impression that there are all these non-citizens. That is what then allows for uh, what we're now seeing in Pennsylvania, where the Republicans up there have just passed a photo ID bill. And we just learned now that this could affect some 750,000 Pennsylvania Pennsylvania voters who do not have state issued photo ID, uh, and in fact, uh, a top state lawmaker, Republican lawmaker, said that you know he he was was very proud that they passed this law because it allowed them, he says, uh, to have Mitt Romney win the state for the first time. I think we actually have that clip. Do we have that, uh, G uh, number three, if you don't mind? Voter ID, which is going to allow Governor Romney to win the state of Pennsylvania. Done. We've passed voter ID. It it will allow Governor Romney to win the state of Pennsylvania. That's the point of all of this. They're gaming the system. And in Minnesota, Ernie Canning, you wrote uh, another article recently uh... about the photo id initiative that they're putting on the ballot up in minnesota and your concerns that uh... if it's allowed to stay on this ballot it just may pass up there in minnesota
5: well the interesting thing brad is that a number of groups like the aclu legal women voters uh... Um, uh and uh, several others have done a marvelous job of going into court and exposing the deceptions, and uh... Uh, in Missouri, for example, they, they they came out with a real good decision. They've been able to block it so far through the legal system. But the problem is that ordinary citizens, because of this massive mainstream media failure, ordinary citizens have not caught on to the lie. And the interesting thing, if you go back into, um, I think it was last September we covered uh, uh uh, the, the hearings that were conducted in, in the U.S. Senate mm-hmm. having to do with this issue, and there was one statistic that really struck me on this whole issue of, uh, photo ID, which as you know can only, the only type of voter fraud that can be prevented by a, by a polling place photo ID restriction is, uh, if somebody impersonates another citizen at the poll. That's the only type of fraud that could be prevented. And it was uh, law professor Justin Levitt was testifying at that hearing, and he said that out of 400 million votes cast nationwide since 2000, there have been only nine possible instances of voter in, uh, impersonation. And the interesting thing, as I said in that article, is that that number nine is well below the number of high-level Republicans, including Mitt Romney, who have personally committed... <laughs> Uh, or, or or may have personally committed uh, voter fraud by uh, voting in precincts where they don't resign. And in fact, the where they the first state to get this photo ID legislation uh, approved by the Supreme Court, which was Indiana, its uh, Republican Secretary of State uh, Charlie White last year was convicted of three counts of voter fraud based on the fact that he voted out of a residence he didn't reside.
1: Which is exactly what Mitt Romney seems to have done, and exactly uh, the reason that I've argued it at Bradblog uh, that he is uh, most likely keeping his tax returns a secret, because uh, I believe that they would uh, most likely show that he committed voter fraud himself in January in 2010 uh, in the uh, Scott Brown, uh, Martha Coakley special U.S. Senate election up there, when he didn't even own a house uh Mitt Romney didn't until July of 2010 uh we got to uh get to a break uh, but I want to uh, before I leave you guys uh, go here uh, let me ask uh, Dan Smith, uh, looking at what 's going on, looking at the the lies that's being that are being perpetrated by some of these top officials down in Florida by this systematic not just the systematic uh, purge and restrictions on voter registration and so forth down in Florida, but across the country. Uh, Dan Smith, you cover elections uh, you know as close as anyone is this going to have an effect? uh or what effect do you see that all of this uh the, these assaults on voting rights will have in not only the presidential election but all of the other races down ballot across the country this November
3: well, That's a really good point uh, that we often miss. Uh look, these laws are all going to disproportionately affect minorities. Uh they systematically have uh, fewer access to uh, legitimate now forms of voter identification. They're the ones who are more likely to be naturalized citizens and be targeted in these. Uh, in Florida, with our early voting that's been changed, with the, the souls of the polls last Sunday before election being eliminated by the Florida legislature last year, that's when disproportionate numbers of not only African Americans but Hispanics came out to the polls. All these changes are going to be affecting not only the tally for uh, the U.S. Uh, highest office, but also those down ballot races, and it's disproportionately falling on uh, minorities.
1: And uh, Ernie Canning uh, is the. Uh, are the media going to figure it out before the election, or is it going to be uh, more of this hand wringing and navel gazing after the election uh, this November?
5: Well, I can I can at least give on one uh, portion of the media a positive remark, and that was that uh, I've been in touch with the Orlando. Weekly about their misreporting of uh, Judge Henkel's uh, uh, ruling on on the Florida voter purge, and it looks like they're going to write an article that straightens their readers out. So, hello, Ernie, Jack, you got to uh, work on the New York Times.
1: Yes, New York Times next, Mr. Canning, uh, and and no, I'll
5: leave that to you, Brad. You had a lot of fun with them uh, at, at with some other matters.
1: Yeah, with with Acorn, that only took six months of my life, and they only finally half corrected about uh, a dozen stories over there.
5: I call that a
1: chiseling uh, chiseling retraction. Uh, Indeed. So much mendacity and mainstream media failure. So little time. Uh, Okay, gentlemen, uh, it's great to have you here. I wish we had more time. I suspect we'll uh, have you both on in the not-too-distant future as this mess gets messier. Dr. Daniel Smith, you can follow him on the Twitters at Electionsmith. And uh, on the web at electionsmith.wordpress.com. You can follow Ernie Canning at CAN4ING. That's C A N N, the number four I N G, on the Twitters. Why he used that name, I don't know. And of course, at BradBlog.com. Thank you both, gentlemen. Thank you, Brad.
6: sentimental, if you know what I mean
1: I love the country, but I can't stand the scene And I'm neither left or right I'm just staying home tonight Getting lost in that hopeless little screen. But I'm stubborn as those garbage bags of time cannot decay yeah, that's what I'm worried about. You're listening to the broadcast on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Jason Leopold of Truthout.org.
0: The Downtown Film Festival, running July 6th through the 13th at various venues throughout L.A., showcases films highlighting L.A.'s unique cultural diversity through independent cinema. Highlights include the opening night feature, The Diary of Preston Plummer, starring Robert Loggia and Rumor Willis, Beyond Pollution, about the aftermath of the BP oil spill, Falling Up, a Skid Row documentary of hope, survival, and love, Fuzz Track City, a comic noir thriller of murder, betrayal, and music surrounding a 1970s rock record. Record. delusions of grandeur about struggles of sexuality and gender roles in the 70s in San Francisco, and Birds of a Feather, in which a group of theatrical misfits band together to put on a comedic, musical version of Chekhov's The Seagull. Further info and a complete roster of films is available at kpfk.org. KPFK is a proud media sponsor, and KPFK Film Club members are invited to call the front desk during business hours at 818 985 2711. Dial 0 for operator for a pair of tickets to one of these fine films. And if if you aren't already a Film Club member, consider joining at kpfk.org. Don't talk
2: about the weather. Shh. It's a military secret.
1: Just keep your
4: wits together. Shh.
2: That's the safest way to keep it.
4: These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. In such critical times, you've got to watch out for sabotage. (laughs) If you must talk to someone, shh,
2: don't give any information.
1: No, don't.
4: Welcome back to the Bradcast.
1: I am Brad Friedman, your friendly host from bradblog.com. By the way, I forgot to give my Twitter handle if you'd like to uh, follow me and or send me some questions uh well about anything but specifically got some questions for Jack Abramoff I do believe he's going to be joining us on next week's broadcast live so you can follow me on the twitters at the brad blog that's the brad blog on the twitters follow me i'll make it worth your time all right uh moving forward here and we're going to be joined in a little bit by uh Desi Doyen with a green news report but before we get there Uh, This just breaking today from uh, Truthout.org, detainees in custody of the U.S. military were interrogated while drugged with powerful antipsychotic and other medications that, quote, could impair an individual's ability to provide accurate information. Well, wasn't that the point? Uh, This was from a, a Department of Defense inspector general's report that was just declassified. Uh, discussing the alleged use of mind-altering drugs. In addition, detainees were subjected to chemical restraints, hydrated with intravenous fluids while they were being interrogated, and in what appears to be a form of psychological manipulation, the Inspector General's probe confirmed at least one detainee, convicted dirty bomb plotter Jose Padilla, was the subject of a deliberate ruse in which his interrogators led him to believe he was given an injection of truth serum. Truthout obtained a copy of the report, the IG's report, Investigation of Allegations of the Use of Mind-Altering Drugs to Facilitate Interrogations of Detainees prepared by the Department of Defense Deputy Inspector General for Intelligence in September of 2009. We are only learning about it Learning about it today, thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request filed by TruthOut.org. Jason Leopold and Jeffrey Kay from TruthOut write about this, uh, this disturbing report today. And Jason Leopold, investigative journalist from TruthOut and author of the L.A. Times bestseller, News Junkie, A Memoir, joins me now to talk about it. Hey, Jason, welcome, sir, to KPFK. Hey, Brad, great to be with you. All right, this was just breaking, so I wanted to get this in. We may have you on for more time uh, later in the week on Friday when I have more time on Malloy's show, but as it was just breaking today, I wanted to make sure to get this out. Uh, What do we learn in this Inspector General's report, and why has it taken, what are we now, four years on, three years on, uh, since it was published? Why has it taken so long to see the light of day?
6: It's a great question. I mean, basically, I have to say that this sort of, you know, underscores that the Freedom of Information Act can be, when used properly, a very powerful tool. Now, we waited for two years for it, uh, and it's clear once you see the report how explosive some of these revelations are. Uh, So, you know, during the process uh, in, in which we filed the uh, or jeff k rather filed the original foia i filed what was known as a mandatory declassification review you know they it went through a number of top officials uh for them to review in order to you know determine whether it could be released what's very surprising is that it was released with minimal redactions so <clears throat> excuse me it's uh it's explosive and you know what's really important to point out here is that as you read from the, you know, from the story, mm-hmm. the D.C. Circuit uh, yeah, Court of Appeals has basically, under that system, they have basically said that in all of the habeas corpus cases that comes, be- uh, that, that comes before that court, right. uh, it is presumed that what the detainees have said is accurate. And, it's, and, and the burden falls upon them, upon the detainees, to prove that what they said uh, you know, to their interrogators uh-huh. was
1: not accurate. So the suggestion being that if they're under uh, powerful antipsychotic exactly. medication, that has been force-fed to them, right? This was not re- right. requested, right?
6: That's right. And as the report makes clear, these powerful antipsychotic medications, particularly one that is identified in the report, which is Haldol, uh, it, it's known to uh, produce unreliable information. So here you have the government essentially saying that's what happens when you interrogate these people under you know while they're under the influence of this medication. Then you have the court saying, hey, we're going to take the government's word for it whenever they, you know, challenge uh, you know habeas cases. This just you know, Brad, this report is just another piece of evidence uh, you know that we've seen in in you know that underscores how. Uh, we've treated detainees, and certainly how criminal some of this treatment has been. Uh, There's no other way to describe it.
1: Let let me try to put this into some perspective, Jason. If I was in jail, let's say, uh, tried on on a murder case, uh, take uh, terrorism and and the supposed war on terror out of it, if I'm in jail uh, facing murder charges... And, uh, and I go into a court hearing, uh, on any, you know, anything that has to do with, with that particular, uh, that particular right. case. And then months later or even years later, it's discovered that my, uh, my interrogators had been forcing, uh, anti-psychotic drugs on me. And this was not revealed to the judge at the time. What would happen with a case like that?
6: You know, that's, a, it's a great question. In the U.S., you know, it, it, it's different. The rules are different. And it, it would uh, obviously cast doubt, uh, you know, call into question the veracity, you know, of the statements you've made. I've I, I, seen that time and again, that being challenged. The difference here, Brad, is that the attorneys, okay, did not have access to detainees' medical records. So when they're making assertions mm-hmm. uh, that that the detainees have been drugged, They're basing that off of what the detainees have told them. In the U.S., your lawyer would actually find out that, in fact, you were drugged and could present that evidence. So the habeas corpus attorneys don't have that uh, luxury.
1: Well, and see that's sure. what that's what occurs to me. I mean, if that was discovered in a court of law and that that information was withheld from uh, uh, you know from from defense attorneys from from prosecutors from the judge from the jury, it seems to me that that would be grounds frankly to just dismiss the case entirely.
6: And yet sure. you, you talked about a jury though. I mean, that, again, that's another difference. You're, you're, <laughs> these, these cases are going before right. the DC circuit. Right. There is no jury. They've already said, you know, the pres- Assumption is uh, in favor of the government, and the government has clearly known this, Brad, and uh, you know still challenges it. We, you know, we cite many examples uh, in in this story uh, about one particular detainee who said that you know he was drugged so so badly that uh, or, or you know just just injected with uh, so much haldol uh, uh, that he you know he was lethargic. And he just simply told his interrogators, "Yeah, I'm with Al Qaeda," just so he could go to sleep. Right. Uh, they actually diagnosed this detainee as borderline with borderline personality disorder, schizophrenic, and psychotic. Yet after he admitted, uh, he made this admission they kept him uh, in Guantanamo for three more years.
1: I got to tell you Jason Leopold, uh reading this story, it it kind of made my skin crawl. I mean, it was it, you know, you know the idea of, you know, it felt a lot like experimenting on uh, uh on prisoners with right. with drugs. Was there any uh... you know that we would expect from uh, the nazis uh... back in in the thirties yeah. or something was there any reference to this type of interrogation technique as they like to call it uh... in any of the legal documents we know of so far from the bush administration from john Yu that approved the use of uh, drugs uh... as part of uh... Enha- enhanced interrogation as they like to call it
6: great question in fact in the story it's a very lengthy story Uh you know, down when we're talking about Jose Padilla, mm-hmm. uh, you know, during a time when the Department of Defense, uh, had this working group, uh, they were coming up with what techniques they could use. John Yu actually wrote a legal memo for the, for, uh, the uh, Defense Department's general counsel. Mm-hmm. And he said that, uh, drugs can be used, that drugs could be used, uh, as, as long as it, uh, did not profoundly disrupt the census. Uh, and, and he said that at a time when you know this ruse was being pulled on Jose Padilla, and you have to understand it. You know, if somebody tells you that you're being injected with something, that you know it, 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 it may not be the case. It still takes a psychological toll. You may react to it the same way. And there's many case studies on that. So John, you did approve of it. Uh, this working group originally had um, you know drugs listed. Uh, uh... you know, using these drugs, yeah, uh, but they you know they the, the report says that they ultimately you know withdrew the recommendation. uh... so you know what what's important to note here, and I think that the um you know what this report says is that mind altering drugs were not were not used for the purposes uh, you know of interrogation, basically, there was no government policy per se.
1: Well, why were they uh, giving this to them, Jay? Why well, that, were they giving exactly them the
6: exactly drugs? It. I mean, and, <laughs> and, and we and we reveal, you know, a lot of the evidence gaps, you know, that uh, that exist. But that's that's the question, you know. And, and honestly, it's what Jeff Kay and I have been, you know, been doggedly pursuing, mm-hmm. you know, for many many years, yeah. uh, because the area of drugs, you know, for for people, you know, for the listeners who may be very familiar with the CIA's MKUltra program, mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, has that sort of, uh, you know, connotation. Uh, this is what it sort of smells like, in a sense. And it, so,
1: Yeah, And it took you two years, Jason, to even get a, a response on your Freedom of Information Act. And I've I got to move on to the uh, to the green news here, Jace, but I, I want to talk to you more about this. Sure. Hopefully we'll get to... Uh, uh, carve out a little bit more time on uh, on Friday on the Mike Malloy show. Let me just recommend people go on over to Truthout.org. Uh, it was on the front cover earlier, uh, front page earlier today. Probably still is, should be. Yeah. Uh, get an idea what the hell the government is doing in what the hell the U.S. government is doing in your name. I think it's appalling. But Jason, uh, your work here is uh, is great as always, and I look forward to talking to you more about this in the near future, my friend. Thanks very much, Brad. Be well. Thank you, Jason. Oh, brother. See the kind of transitions here. We just, I can't even think about that stuff. We've got to move on because the world is melting. Hey, Desi Doyen.
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: Oh, it's going okay.
2: It's busy today. Tr-
1: troubling show today. Troubling, busy show. We need more than an hour here on the broadcast. That, of course, is Desi Doyen, my uh, co host on the Green News Report. Uh, uh, nationally syndicated to fine progressive radio stations around the nation. And of course, always available at greennews.bradblog.com. Desi is also the managing editor of that report. And, you know, we picked a hell of a week to go out of town, uh, last week because of Fourth of July. The boiling Fourth of boiling July. The boiling Fourth of July as the world was melting. Let's get right to, uh, today's Green News report. And then I suspect we'll have a few, uh, a few additional, uh, questions to to throw at you afterwards.
3: Record-breaking heat across this country. More than 3,000 records shattered in just these first few days of July.
2: Baby, it's hot outside. The hottest 12 months on record.
3: Um, It could be the beginning of the end.
2: Corn growers in hell. Melting runways and more fallout from extreme weather. Better late than never, more Americans believe in science again. Plus...
4: So I'm not disputing that Increasing CO2 emissions in the atmosphere is going to have an impact. It'll have a warming impact.
2: ExxonMobil's CEO admits climate change is occurring, but...
4: We have spent our entire existence adapting. Okay, so we will adapt to this.
2: He's just not all that concerned about it.
1: Of course he isn't. All of that and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news,
4: politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The fear factor that people want to throw out there to say, we just have to stop this, I do not accept
1: Of course you don't accept it, ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson. They pay you to not accept it. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, well, it looks like we picked a fine week to take the week off uh, for 4th of July last week as uh, we had horrendous wildfires, oppressive heat waves, devastating droughts, flooding from giant deluges, and a powerful freak windstorm called a Duraco all in one week.
2: Yeah, but luckily there's no climate change or global warming influencing anything. At least,
1: yeah, at least it's not as far as old man George Will is concerned, as he said on ABC this week. How do we (laughs) explain the heat? One word, summer.
5: I grew up in central Illinois in a house without air conditioning. What is so unusual about this?
1: We're having some hot weather. Get over it. We're having some hot weather, Des. Get over it.
2: That's so funny, especially for the people who have died in this heat wave, 46, most of them elderly. It's official. We have just experienced the hottest 12-month stretch on record in the U.S., and January to April 2012 is now officially the hottest January through April on record in the U.S. If this trend continues, 2012 is shaping up to be the hottest year on record globally. That's according to the National Climatic Data Center on Monday. They say that the odds of this 12-month stretch randomly occurring in any given month is 1 in 1.6 million the heat has buckled highways, warped railroad tracks, and even a plane at D.C.'s Reagan National Airport got stuck, sinking into the runway when the asphalt softened like butter. (laughs) This heat wave shattered many all-time high-temperature records throughout the U.S. Not just, hey, this is a new record for July, but hey, these are all-time highest temperatures ever recorded for these towns, ranging from Minnesota to Georgia, even breaking records that were set during the extended record drought of the Dust Bowl in the 1930s.
1: Or as old man George Will would say... Word. summer we're having some
2: hot weather get over it yeah and corn growers think that's just really funny corn growers in hell was the headline from bloomberg news if the heat and dry weather continue can't pull
3: enough moisture out of the ground and all these kernels will just die unless we get some water soon what's going to happen oh we could lose Easily 40%.
2: It was supposed to be a record corn crop this year, but Iowa farmers, as you just heard, now predict up to 40% of the U.S. corn crop could be lost nationwide due to the heat and drought. Parts of Iowa haven't seen significant rain since April. That's going to result in higher food prices for anything that uses corn, like cattle feed or the high-fructose corn syrup that exists in most processed foods, It's having an effect on public opinion polls, too, which are finally showing ever higher numbers of Americans now agree with the scientific consensus on climate change as more and more of them are directly affected by extreme weather events. That's despite the fact that most media outlets have ignored the relationship between global warming and extreme weather. Only 3% of broadcast reports mentioned it, according to a new study by MediaMatters.org. One of the few to mention it... PBS NewsHour, who even talked to an actual climate scientist, Kevin Trenberth of the National Center for Atmospheric Research.
3: Breaking records is not an indication of climate change, but breaking records at a rate of 10 to 1 versus the cold records, that's a clear indication of climate change.
2: But humans will simply adapt to all of this unpleasant climate change, says the CEO of ExxonMobil, Rex Tillerson. In a recent appearance at the Council on Foreign Relations, Tillerson acknowledged the scientific evidence of global warming, that greenhouse gas emissions from burning ExxonMobil's oil is causing the planet to warm, but he says it's simply a quote, engineering problem.
4: So I'm not disputing that Increasing CO2 emissions in the atmosphere is going to have an impact. It will have a warming impact. We believe those consequences are manageable. As a species, we have spent our entire existence adapting. Changes to weather patterns that move crop production areas around, we'll adapt to that. It's an engineering problem, and it has engineering solutions. And so I don't – the fear factor that people want to throw out there to say we just have to stop this I do not accept.
1: Got it. So he admits it's a huge problem, just doesn't think we ought to do anything about it other than some sort of magic engineering.
2: Yeah, so we can just keep on buying all his oil.
1: Well, he earned his $50 million today, or whatever the hell it is they pay him. For more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Remember, you can always download our reports at iTunes. You can listen to us on your mobile device via Stitcher Radio, and you can follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your... Green News Report. One word, summer.
4: Summertime, 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 summertime,
1: summertime. It's just hot, Des. it is. just summer. It's summer. I don't know why you green people and your panic. Didn't you hear the CEO of ExxonMobil right there? He told you that everything's is fine. It's just
2: fine. The magical engineering fairy will drop down and bestow <laughs> you... wonderful technology upon us that will solve all of our problems. You... Meanwhile, we can keep burning all the oil that that they happen to have billions of dollars in reserves that they really want to sell before they are forced to stop.
1: And if you have to move all the corn crops up to the Arctic, sure, you
2: know, you can do hey, that. if you're a farmer in Iowa, <laughs> sorry, your land might be worthless, but we'll just, you know, move someplace else, right. and we'll just leave you there with. In all seriousness,
1: land. though, that. That was a pretty extraordinary um, uh, admission? admission from uh, Rex Tillerson. Well,
2: it's something that ExxonMobil has, Exxon has said officially for several years now. They have officially acknowledged the basic undeniable physics of carbon dioxide, the greenhouse effect in the atmosphere with suns Well, they solar haven't told radiation. the
1: Republican Party, have they?
2: Well, not that the Republican Party would listen, of course. But, yes, that is something that uh, is a departure from the CEO in 2005, Lee Raymond. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually was, was very vociferous about saying that there was no global warming and that uh, the whole physics was just not true and that there wasn't going to be a problem. But Rex Tillerson has created that shift in Exxon's official public statements. But Exxon is still funding uh, uh, climate change denier front groups.
1: It's happening. We're just not going to do anything about it. And we're going to lobby all of our uh, public officials to have them also claim it's not happening. Right. Unbelievable. Uh, Desi Doyen, nice job. Thank you very much. That's our producer, Desi Doyen. Uh, my thanks, as always, to our super duper associate producer, Margo Paez, to G, our soundboard operator, and uh, please do stay tuned. Oh, and all to, to all my guests today uh, Daniel Smith, Ernie Canning, and Jason Leopold. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 o'clock report Obama's Afghan War. What war? Uh, We'll be in for Mike Malloy this Friday night, uh, live, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time. Hope you'll join us for that. And we'll be back next Wednesday with another Bradcast and, uh, I think, our guest, Jack Abramoff. Follow me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog, and we'll see you at BradBlog.com. Good night, America.